If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Good afternoon and welcome, everybody. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. It is my great pleasure. To be with you, I'm Jeff, that is Director Matthew, filling in one more time, both as director and producer for Tom Lang. He's on his way back from having watched a victorious United States team dominate the Europeans and bring back the Ryder Cup, which is a a nice thing. So, in the interim, let's get started, let's get to... Appreciate you. If you're on the uh, chat there, if you're watching on War Chant TV, make sure you like and subscribe, and uh, that way uh, you'll get uh, the updates, all that good stuff when we go live, any of our mini programs, including this one every afternoon, so that is a good thing. Also note that you can find me on Twitter at Jay Cameron Show, and also, let's see, what else? Anywhere else? Yeah, we're good. I think that's it. Hello, everybody. I'm waving. We good? We're caught up? People are on board? Folks ready to join? Uh, so it, here is the deal. Uh, Florida State, obviously, is 0-4. You want to start there? Should we start there at 0-4? Should we start with um, whatever your particular frustrations are with this team? I am probably going to run a little counter, a little uh, a little zag to your zig today, uh, as I thought... Um, I thought there was a lot to grow on here. Uh, it's it's baby steps when you're terrible, and this isn't to satiate or uh, calm. Uh, no, I, I mean, obviously, everybody is livid that they're 0-4, and there's enough blame to go around. There's a lot of conversation about who specifically, if there is a specific person uh, to, that is to be blamed. But in a season of lost causes and, uh, and, and bitter disappointments, I think I came away from that game surprised. Uh, if you took in that first quarter, I'm sorry. Sorry you had to watch that. That is as bad a defensive football as I've seen. It was as easy for Louisville as I've ever seen a team um, execute and and slice through Florida State's defense, um, uh, at, especially in, in a situation where it's not like we're not talking about 
one of the truly gifted elite programs. Uh, you know, it's one thing if you get carved up, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence or somebody comes in with Clemson or something like that, and you're like, well, you know, yeah, they're better at every position. It's going to be difficult. But to see the relative ease with which Louisville executed in the first quarter, first quarter and a half, really, I thought we could be on the precipice of seeing, I don't know, 60 points, 65 points. You could see a disastrous turn of events in which Florida State loses by 40 or something like that. Now, I get it. You you lose again and you haven't won a game. It's hard to find the good. But it's easier to find the good when you haven't seen a level of intensity, when you haven't seen a defense recognize and read their keys and then trigger violently and come up make plays for a sustained period of time. When you haven't seen that and then you do, I don't think you can ignore that. I, I, I Now, it will be of vital importance that it carries over, that you see something similar to start a damn game, in particular the next one against Syracuse. It will be of vital importance that Florida State sustains what they did for the remaining mm, six minutes of the second quarter all the way through the rest of the game. Because that FSU, and it was not Louisville turtling. I went back. I've watched this game three times. It's not. And you know why it's not? At one point, it's an 11-point game early in the second half. They're not dialing back everything. Florida State's actually making plays in one-on-one situations. It was stunning. First time beyond the front four, beyond the front four, first time that we saw the back end make plays this year. First time. Now, it's the little things, my friends. When you're not winning games and it's one big pile of suck every week, you've got to find something that shows signs of growth. And, man, when this thing started, it did not feel like there would be any growth whatsoever to be had this was going to be yet another devastating day at the office. Instead, you lose for lots of reasons, partly your physical limitations, your personnel, but also because this coaching staff, for whatever reason, cannot get this team to start games the way that they finish games, the way that they look at some point. Usually it's in the second half entirely, not like early in the second quarter. But something happens in which that team begins to play. They figure something out. Got to do it from the kickoff. Got to find a way to get this team to play fast now. Now, a lot of that could very well be that they don't believe, and they haven't believed, and they haven't had a reason to believe in a very long time, dating back to the final two seasons of Jimbo Fisher's time, the time with Lily Taggart, and so far the time with Mike Norvell. Across three different coaching staffs, there has not been a lot in the last four to five years that would give one a belief that they're going to make plays, that they can start fast, that they can dictate terms. I got it. But that's the hope that comes out of this last game, is that when they did go play football, because you know what I was surprised by? When I watched the replay, I thought I would see some major adjustments. I thought I'd start to see, okay, let's see what they're doing. Now, I wish we had the all-22s. It's a lot easier to see. So it's a little bit harder with broadcast television. But if you freeze it just right, you can kind of see what the safeties are doing. You can begin to get a feel what they're doing. They didn't do much different. I know the coaches said that as well. But when you go back and watch it really closely, they didn't do a lot different. 
Guys trusted what they were seeing, triggered, came up physically, and made plays. Made plays on the ball in the passing game. Certainly flattened out that a really good job of stringing things to the perimeter and then coming up and making tackles. Think about the short yardage stops. Think about all those third down stops and the fourth down stop where they were responsibly playing exactly what they were supposed to do with proper technique and leverage. We really have not seen that, guys. We have not seen that with any sustained success in the same way that we did here in this game. And in a season that's already virtually a lost cause, you have to find something that tells you they're getting better. I know they're still bought in. I don't, you know, again, I'm not going to prattle on about that because people get tired of hearing that, and I do too. I get tired of saying it. it is nice to know because you will see teams go through the motions when their dreams are yanked off the table and there's really nothing to play for other than pride. It's nice to see that they are still doing that. Uh, That does tell me that the day-to-day operation in practice that uh, I've witnessed from when we went over there to practice in the preseason to where they are now is still intact. Guys are still locked in. The energy's still real good. They still believe both in each other and the staff. I just don't understand how it is you can start the way we start. I mean, it's, it is hard to uh, imagine uh, that you could start any worse. And that's a simple play-action pass. There's no trickeration there. That's Gant being overly aggressive and biting on the play-action, and then Miko gets run by, and it's, it's kind of stunning. Uh, I, you know, to watch that play out, it's just you think, again, guys, you do realize that every team we play, they're going to they're going to take a shot early. I mean, why wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be one of the first things you did? I mean, I would su- I would suspect Syracuse will do the same uh, until Florida State shows the ability either to play the ball or the man or both uh, on deep throws early in games. I you know you've got to continue to test to see if they've gotten any better at that. Um, but you know there were a lot of guys in this game that whenever that flip whenever that switch was flipped, I, I don't. I'm not in the locker room. I'm not going to pretend to know exactly what was said, how it was said, and why it resonated. It actually happened before halftime. But whatever triggered that response, you have got to find a way to bottle that. Because that was guys trusting one another, being assignment sound, playing with good technique, playing with leverage, understanding what they were looking at, and playing fast. For a long period of time, I mean, you don't, you just don't see. Listen, that's how bad Florida State's been. That that kind of effort and domination, and it was total domination in the second half. Total domination. Is there a you know, like that? Doesn't happen for this defense. It hasn't. Certainly not for the back end. So that is something that unequivocally I can say is a positive. Now, is it all out the door if you go out against Syracuse and start slow again? I mean, is it is it likely that you're just going to roll your eyes and say, okay, well, you know, it doesn't carry over from game to game? Yeah, that would be a coaching problem if that happens. I mean, that, that, that you have got – clearly they now know, they have ample evidence now that suggests they can play a much better, faster, more violent, more physical, smarter form of defense than we've seen at any point. Robert wants to know right off the bat, at what time do you stop with the KZ experiment? Okay, let, let's get into it. Let's get into quarterback play here. He's not real good, um, but they may not have a better option right now. 
and it and it's it's tough. It, it's a tough thing to watch. On the one hand, on the one hand, it's um, look. I, I know we're probably it's it's a little bit like uh, finding out that um, <laughs> a certain tight end might be related to Jack, right? Um, <laughs> when, when that happened, uh, every game, every week, you got tired of hearing it. And I got you. Uh, I think for Florida State fans, even while recognizing what kind of cool story it is that he's even out there playing football, we're we're growing weary and tired of that uh, that narrative week in and week out because we need him to play well and to play consistently well and to make plays. And he does not have much of an arm anymore. Uh, not that he ever had a great arm; he always had a quick release. Uh, but he also, unfortunately, has that bum wheel, and it betrays him all the time. Uh, he, he, he really is. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's tough to watch a guy fall down for no reason and to have it more than, you know, more than once. That's hard to watch because, you know, in his mind, he knows what to do, and it's just not happening. But I will tell you, his pre-snap is solid. Louisville made a couple of mistakes in this game, one of which was I don't think you should, and it'll be interesting to see how Syracuse plays this or how defenses in general play us moving forward. Uh, because I don't know why you would dial up pressures, and they did in spots. Now, they, they later on, they stopped doing it. But he knows where to throw if he recognizes pre-snap that there's pressure. And, you know, we've talked a lot about you, know, you throw from whence they came, and he has done a good job of doing that. It's almost like when he does not have to think and and I know he I know he's recognizing things pre snap, but if you try to put pressure on him and you get the ball out of his hands, you speed him up. He's able to hit you and and hurt you in the seams. He's able to get the ball out quickly and on time. Um, you know I I wouldn't I would never do that with him because a I think I can beat Florida State's offensive line one on one with my front. I don't think I really have to dial up pressures. That's how bad this offensive line is. I don't want to speed him up. I don't want him to recognize pre-snap from where I'm coming because he's going to make those throws. Uh, I'd rather him have to throw uh, and, and try to find seams. Occasionally he does. Occasionally he still has a few throws in him when he gains some confidence and he has an understanding of, of what he's seen. Occasionally you see some of those throws that made him special. It's not consistent enough. And Jordan Travis was not available in this football game, so they couldn't go back to him. And I'm sorry, right now, while you're trying to win games, I actually believe, at least from what I've seen, this version uh, of Mackenzie Milton, to some extent, at least for stretches at a time, probably gives you a better chance to win than Chubba Purdy. And I know that's a damning statement um, about Chubba Purdy. But I would back that up by telling you it's – it's maybe less, maybe. I don't know yet. It's maybe less about Chubba's um, inability uh, to, to play long-term than it is about the amount of time that he missed. And, you know, so for me, um, I, 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 would, I would tend to agree with that. At, at a position when you're transitioning and learning a new offense and when you're trying to... Um, uh, you know, prepare yourself to be able to eventually, even as a young player, start at the most complicated and important position on the field. Having an injury, going through a surgery, having complications from that surgery, going home to get your mind right, quote-unquote, as you recover from that, then returning to the team, not getting starters reps, obviously. Um, it just puts you 
a mile behind the sticks, man, a long ways from being able to uh, compete and win that job and, and give yourself a chance to, to – uh, maybe later in the year. Maybe later in the year he gets that chance. He may end up getting some snaps uh, in, in some of these games. If Florida State could ever be in a position to where, I mean, God forbid, they have a comfortable lead – uh, against somebody, who knows, maybe against UMass, you could give them extended time. Sky Ninja, many of your peers have said that Louisville became very conservative in the second half. Is this true? And if so, how much can we trust the second half defensive performance? Uh, no, it's not completely true. If you go back and watch, uh, there, there are a couple things that happen that Florida State does to force uh, Louisville and, uh, off the field. Uh, Florida State getting off the field on third down helps an awful lot in uh, stemming the tide. Uh, but that's them actually making plays and a couple of short yardage big plays they make. They also made uh, two plays in on passing downs where Louisville was able to convert early in the game in the middle of the field frequently now. They had an injury at wide receiver, and I think that did help Florida State an awful lot. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's all Florida State. But I will say that they trusted Malik Cunningham to make two throws in the second half on third and medium in Florida State. One was a terrible throw, and the other Florida State was there to break up. So Florida State gets credit uh, for playing much better football defensively uh, late in the second quarter and then in the second half. Again, they were far more physical. They played fast. They played violent. They recognized their keys. They reacted. They, they, ran, they played downhill. Uh, they, they played fundamentally sound. I have not seen a lot of that. that. None of that has anything to do with Louisville. I thought Louisville kind of got out of rhythm maybe early on in the second half because they dialed back a little bit. But, you know, one of the reasons that you dial it back with Malik Cunningham is twofold. Um, he's not a real accurate passer. And one of the ways you would get Florida State back in the game is, is you know, to help out by throwing a pick or, God forbid, if you're them, uh, you see a pick six. But, I thought he also chose not to run as much in this game in the second half, partly because there's two big hits that Florida State lays on him at one point when he's trying to get outside. That's when I talk about we flattened out and forced him out wide. One of those times he gets rocked. So, you know, I, to me, when you – if you're going to look at a combination of things, then that's fair. If you're going to solely say – that they were trying to shorten the game. You're not shorting the game in an 11-point game with uh, much of the half to play. I, I don't think that's it. I also think that you know part of what Florida State is going to have a real hard time doing throughout the course of the season is, and, and this is why you cannot start slow, because offensively you cannot sustain drives. This offensive line is not good. I don't know how many ways... There are to say that, describe that, but certainly all of you watching, I'm not going to insult your intelligence. You watch the games. I mean, when, when a team rushes three and they still get pressure on the quarterback, problematic. Give Robert Scott credit for being out there. They had him at right tackle. He's trying to play hurt because uh, uh, you know an injured version or a beat-up version of Robert Scott is better than what we have in a lot of cases, which tells you a lot, given how young he is. And again, not being 100%, you still have to have him out there. That's not ideal. But he got beaten one-on-ones several times. That's uh, frustrating. Uh, when you know the, Florida State wants to run tempo and you have to win first down, when Florida State wins first down and gets moving, they're able to have some success. You saw them switch to the inside zone stuff. That worked physically. That worked. They were able to run the ball. And obviously you're going to have to do whatever you can to try to center your game plan around those two running backs. I mean, we talked about it all week long. I think Florida State fans had to be, if you're going to be happy about anything after a loss, you're going to be happy about, A, um, 
the fact that they they did a good job of using Corbin and Ward, uh, and B, uh, you're gonna you're gonna I think point to uh, a real emergence of some guys in the second half. The spacing, if you look at them on defense, a lot of what happens with the linebackers and the safeties, uh, some of that to me is experience. Some of that is um, uh, well, in some cases a lack of ability, but they were a lot better in the second half, and those windows were much more difficult to exploit in the second half for Louisville. And that's, again, Florida State doing a better job of doing, you know, each individual doing their job in that second half. Uh, We said before the season began, and when you watch this play out, it's very frustrating because there's not a lot in the way of answers. Uh, they'll, They'll continue to mix and match and try to do what they can. But we said the linebackers would get exploited in the middle of the field we said the linebackers get exploited in pass coverage, and they really do. They really, you see a lot of that time and again, and teams are going to do the best they can to isolate them and get them in coverage. And if they can do that, they're going to have success. And I thought Louisville did a good job of that early on. Uh, I thought that uh, Florida State, you know, we talk about not being able – in fact, my notes are right here. Let me do this because I, I charted every play in this game uh, for post-game purposes as well. Um, but you think about – the third and 11 first down pass, which, uh, which early on sets everything up, and then they get the shot play, 59 yards. Uh, Harrell with the touchdown, um, not being able to get off the field there, kills you. Uh, Florida State, obviously, Robert Scott gets whipped up front on the first drive, um, gives up a sack. Uh, there was the quick pass to McLean prior to that, which really got you nothing. The end around got blown up because the interior line got beat up. So right off the ball bat, you give the ball up. Uh, third and six, Louisville on the second drive. And once again, the middle of the field's open for business, and they convert there. And once that happens, uh, they try to run. Florida State gets a stop with the front four. Uh, you get a Q- uh, QB keeper. Florida State does a good job on contain there. It's third and nine. You're going to get off the field. What happens? Late hit, push out of bounds. You're going to get off the field in that situation yet again. So you see the sustained problems where Florida State can't get off the damn field, either through self-inflicted, stupid, um, I mean, really stupid decisions, and or teams exploiting the linebackers. So then now you've set up for more points. You do get a stop. You set up fourth and 13 because uh, you stop the screen and they end up kicking a 44-yard field goal. Uh, you know, But here we are. It's just like that. It's 10 to nothing. This might be a question for next segment, considering we have to go to break soon. Uh, but a lot of this segment has been about the defensive performance, and Sky Ninja's yeah, yeah. question was about the defense. But um, how much do you trust the offensive performance in the second half? Spe- uh, specifically the run game, because we're talking about the offensive line being bad. Louisville's rushing three-on-five, three-on-six a lot of the time yeah. mm-hmm. because they're up so much, obviously. Well, I think I, I, there's two things here. The inside zone stuff, they block up really, really well. And one when they're able to run tempo, they can get the run game going. When Florida State's able to run tempo, they got to win first down. In order, they cannot sustain drives. They certainly can't run the ball when teams know you're going to run the ball, just like they can't throw the ball when teams know you're going to throw the ball. So you have to win first down time. And again, there's so much pressure on Florida State to not have negative plays, not have false starts, not give up, you know, you know, there were a couple. I mean, Jordan Wilson in this game. I don't know if you can play him anymore. Uh, I, I'm going to be honest with you here. It took me a little bit longer to get to this than than um, than than maybe it should have. But when you go back and watch this carefully, that is a guy that we were told coming over from UCLA would help them as an extra blocker. He's a huge body. When you look at him, he's almost a glorified tackle. 
And you think, okay, so you're going to use him to block it up in the run game, to be an ad block. Man, he doesn't do a single thing well. I, there's no other way to say it. He doesn't do anything well at all. He doesn't block. He can't catch. I don't know that. I just don't know how you can play him. I don't. I mean, again, it's he's not the sole reason that we're losing games, but he certainly isn't helping much. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And I guess my man Jackson West could be out there soon enough. Uh, it's a tough ask. No, hey, P. Simpson, you're not wrong, man. Um, Milton is not great right now. Quarterback play is troubling. It's been awful. It's directly married to a couple of things. These receivers aren't good, and this offensive line is not good. I do think no matter who you put back there, the quarterback play is going to be poor. So I understand people are clamoring for Chubba. He'll be probably the backup quarterback for this game this week because I'm not real sure Jordan Travis will be ready. Uh, that's speculation on my part. But I, I – um, golly, he hadn't been good. He's not been real good when you watch him in practice. So I don't think you're going to see an appreciable difference. Uh, now, it may get to a place where physically – and I know we got to go break. I blew past everything. Uh, it may get to a place where physically Mackenzie Milton can't do it. Uh, there's some things there that I saw that troubled me. Um, it was it was it was frustrating, uh, and I and I feel bad for him. But that's the I mean we're not here. It's not a pity party. We're trying to win some games, so I get it. It's Jeff Cameron Show, ninety three three Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Ah, mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive, sought after, rare, and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. The Jeff Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. We do appreciate you joining us. Hope you're well on this Monday. Hope you had a great weekend despite the loss. There'll be more. There'll be more losses. So, uh, hey, hey. Hang in there. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. Going to be uh, going to be a long year. You, I think more and more people have kind of wrapped their head around that now. You understand that, right? So let's see what becomes of this team before season's end. Do they continue to take steps forward at all? And by continue, I mean, do we see a carryover from the second half of this game defensively into the first quarter of the next game against Syracuse? Uh, and again, uh, it's, it's baby steps for a bad team and a program that desperately needs an infusion of talent, which is what we're all hyper-focused on right now without question. It's not this year. It's the 2022 class that, again, will give you a chance to be good, not in 2022, but maybe reasonably so by 2023 and 2024 being realistic 
to expect uh, some sort of a, a winning record in a, in a, in a decent season. Uh, I know that nobody wants to hear that. Nobody likes to deal with that. There have been bitter disappointments along the way, and that only adds to the misery when you think to yourself, oh, wait, I, I, so another couple of years here, Jeff? Well, yeah, I mean, you can't flip your roster overnight, although if you effort to do so, uh, you'd look over at Mel Tucker at Michigan State. My God, he brought in 40 players. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing uh, how quickly he was able to, uh, to do that. Now, they did not deserve to win that game against Nebraska. By the way, did you watch any of that game? So Nebraska loses in overtime, and they were the better team on this night, but they didn't win, and that's got to be maddening because uh, they were outgained. I mean, Nebraska outgained Michigan State something like 400 and something to 250. And in addition, it's like late-game trickery on a punt return in the fourth quarter. They get the interception in overtime, just miscues. Uh, brutal, brutal way to lose a game for them. Uh I was reading something this morning when I was thinking about the broader landscape of college football and what this season has been. So Clemson falls, and we've seen a broken version of Clemson this year. It it started in the Georgia game, and I think a lot of us thought, okay, look, most people are going to have a hard time moving the football on on Georgia. Georgia looks to, to have far and away the best defense in college football, it is just littered with five-star, superstar, NFL caliber players, and you kind of, you kind of predicted that. But really, as it turns out, Clemson has a hard time moving the ball on anybody. And before the season, when we were talking about what would be their undoing if there was one, I don't think we thought necessarily uh, quarterback would be the problem. We thought this offensive line in the interior in particular would be a real problem, and it is. And it's led to wildly inconsistent play from the quarterback. But again, offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. And Wake Forest is now <laughs> um, what, 37-17. Demon Deacons are now 4-0, ranked in the AP poll. They could be 8-0 before they head to North Carolina. North Carolina, who just got blown out by Georgia Tech. That's the tough part, right, guys? Who's good in this conference? Wake! That's it! (laughs) Of all the years, if you could just be marginally better, you'd have a chance to make a little hay in the ACC because it's a damn sorry conference. But alas, Alabama Ole Miss this week, over under 78 Lest we forget last year, Ole Miss scored 48 on Alabama in Nick Saban and lost by a lot, <laughs> 63-48 if, I, if memory serves. Imagine scoring 48 on Alabama and kind of, in essence, getting blown out. How high does that number have to be for you to not bet the over? God, when we start getting into crazy numbers where they start predicting, you know, hundreds of points and stuff, it's just hard to rely on that. It kicks a couple of drops, a couple of timely penalties, a turnover, and next thing you know, you're screwed. I just, I probably will stay away from the game. The number itself has moved around. I think it started at 15 and a half down to 14, 14 and a half, somewhere in there. That's actually a little bit more intriguing. So, yeah, last year it was 63 to 48, so it should be fun. Um, Lane Kiffin, by the way, 3 and 0 against the spread this year. Lane ain't having any of your nonsense uh, currently. Um, we'll see. Uh, this should be a fun game. Georgia-Arkansas, the other good story in college football with Pittman doing an amazing job. I know somebody in the chat noticed, uh, t- talked about Jefferson. Yep, good player. 
Burks is a really good wide receiver, too. Uh, they've got a couple of guys. Uh, thanks, Glenn. They got a couple of guys that are just better players than anybody Florida State has right now. Um, those two will stand out. Yes, it's um, it's tough. It's tough. The deadly combination that Florida State has dealt with up to this point, uh, a really combination of, of of a few things: lack of talent, poor coaching. Because there's no getting around that when you're zero and four and you've lost to an FCS school. So you can't, I can't really excuse that. I can excuse away some other things. Um, but so poor coaching, really bad personnel, and what has been uh, the kind of injury luck specific to a segment group that seems to suggest you are cursed eternally for whatever sins Florida State has committed, the football gods have decided in perpetuity to make them pay by only serving out injuries to the lone segment group that was marginal at best and ensuring that it would just be a turnstile yet again. And that is the offensive line. You can't, hey, let's sprinkle in an injury or two, not that we would ever root for injury, but injuries happen in football. Can we just sprinkle in an injury or two, say to an area on the team in which you have a plethora of bodies that are all relatively the same in terms of athleticism and experience, like maybe maybe the secondary, right? No dominant player in that secondary. A lot of guys that are very similar, a lot of guys that you need to play more consistent uh, football, but a lot of guys that athletically are the same. No, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to make sure that the less than adequate offensive line that you possess that has a scarcity in bodies, well, they're the ones that are going to be hurt. Like clockwork. Sorry, just had to get it off my chest. But it's a fun week. It's a fun week of games in the entirety of college football. It's also fun to watch. I mentioned Arkansas. I'm going to go Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M lose to Arkansas. That's nice. Clemson loses. That's nice. By the way, row the boat loses at home to Bowling Green as a 30-point favorite. Woo! That boat is sinking, baby. Man. But Cincinnati at Notre Dame. Even Iowa at Maryland, that's an undefeated Maryland team. Oklahoma at Kansas State. Hmm, Florida at Kentucky. Okay, we'll see. And look at Baylor. Another loss for Iowa State, everybody. Oh, how stunning. Frauds. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. So this is a weird stat. And it's fun studying box scores on Sunday to kind of find out of the games you watch, what you really see, what didn't you see, what was surprising, what wasn't, all that. So here, here's here's what I'll tell you in, in going through this. Do you realize, Matthew, that Kentucky has lost 11 turnovers and only forced two, and yet they just keep on winning games? The other thing is, too, they are, um, in this game, they covered against South Carolina, and they were minus three in the turnover margin. But they outgained South Carolina 332 to 215. They held uh, South Carolina uh, 0 for 3 on fourth downs, just 12 first downs. I, it's, it's just a weird, it's a weird team. It's a weird game. Just as weird was the final score of Notre Dame, Wisconsin 41 13. Get this number, guys. Notre Dame scored 31 points in the fourth quarter. How many points, how many yards do you think they amassed in scoring 31 points in a quarter? 400. 50. 
at 50 yards. They had 50 yards. This is the, one of the strangest box scores you will ever see. Wisconsin kind of dominated the game and lost 41 to 13. <laughs> they held Notre Dame to 3.5 yards per play. But Wisconsin's quarterback is worse than anything Florida State has, and that is saying something. That kid is terrible. Whoo! I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. Three point five yards per play, but you turn it over, a couple pick sixes, all that stuff, man. I, I mean, that's Notre Dame scored forty one points in this game and had a grand total of two hundred and forty two yards of offense. That's nothing. They did nothing on offense. Nothing. Damn, man. That is, uh, as they say, a toughie. Hard to imagine if you had the under in that game, you got absolutely crushed. Um, and and, and <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. One other note from the NFL games, if you uh, listen to the Scuttlebucks, which is back up and running, I want people to know that because there were people asking about it. Uh, the show itself is Fridays and Mondays. You can find it, the podcast, Scuttlebucks, search it. Tom and I talked about this game, and I thought, um, actually thought, by the way, that um, the Bucks would lose that game. Not for um, the sole reason that they did not have JPP or AB, although that certainly doesn't help your cause very much against a good Rams team. But a lot of factors play into this. It's that the Rams are good. And when you come back around, it's so funny because we want to be so resolute about re, you know results, games that play out, and all of a sudden th- those are going to be indicators of things to come in the weeks ahead. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Get a look a little bit further into it. But how important was that game for the Rams? I mean, very important. If you're trying to make the statement that you're going to be the team that goes and wins the Super Bowl and has home field advantage and does all of the things that that roster and uh, and that coach believes they can be and should be, uh, then then you got to win that game at home against the Bucks, a depleted Bucks team, and they did, they did. They outplayed the Bucks; they were the better team. Kind of thought that might happen. Kind of thought that might happen. Uh, I will say, I like watching Jalen Ramsey play football. Man, he is not having it, and there is a lot to love about not just the way he plays. Man, I wish our DBs would watch it. Now, none of them have the same talent that Jalen Ramsey has, so it, it certainly helps to be that kind of talent that kind of talented, but watch, I don't know why the Bucks or anybody else, and if you watch every Rams game, go back and have fun with this. In the quick passing game, anything out on the perimeter, teams try to get the ball out of the hand, they extend it out. All that stuff is, well, requisite of you getting good blocking from receivers. But if you're asking a wide receiver, any wide receiver, to block Jalen Ramsey, that is a losing proposition. I have yet to see a single receiver ever have any success whatsoever in blocking Jalen Ramsey. They all get bitched instantaneously. It is the quickest, most emasculating moment for any of those guys in their career, I would guess. Evans, all of them. Watch them try to block Jalen Ramsey. Oh, no. No, no, no. There is none of that going to be done. It is a quick, either physical domination or it is he sets him up. It's great leverage. He always, from a technique standpoint, 
He's just he's he's too good. He's too good. He's just a great player. Good on Asante Samuel Jr. though, man. Watching him play and watching the Chargers play and seeing the way that he has immediately acclimated uh, himself on that defense. Another interception for him. Uh, acrobatic as it was. That's a fun team. That was a fun game. That division. Sweet Jesus. A lot of fun stuff happening in football that uh, gives you gives you enough moments of sheer satisfaction as a fan and distraction as a knoll to survive your football weekends. I don't know if you saw the stat, um, but the Chiefs are now under 500 for the first time since 2015. Is that right? They didn't start any year 0-1? <laughs> um, wow. Well, I think there's two things that happened in this game that probably stunned a lot of people. It's that the Chiefs got the ball back with just over three minutes to play and an opportunity to go down and set up the game-winning score, uh, and ball was picked off. You get that interception. And then from there, uh, you get uh, you get a nice drive and, and, and a win and, and a stop late. So uh, the Chargers are a fun team. That's a, uh, that's a fun division. It, I know it's one game. It's one damn game, and yet the season – and I'm talking about the addition of a 17th game in the regular season. That one game, for whatever reason, feels like it elongated the season in a way where individual single game results don't matter. I know that I know that every game matters to some extent. And when you get late in the year and you're looking at the playoff scenarios, you end up thinking to yourself, "Well, think back to Week Four when they blew this game, or you know, think back for uh, for Baltimore. You make a 66-yard field goal to beat Detroit. Now, if they end up going to the playoffs and there's a one-game separation, it, they're going to look back obviously at that one moment in time. So, I'm not saying there aren't impactful moments happening in Week Three. It just feels that way with 17 games. And oh, by the way, Justin Tucker could have just dropped his pants after that one. 66 to walk off, pantless. That celebration is not only me running down the field, it is instantaneous, pantless me running down the field. Well, this is unfortunate. Baltimore's kicker, Jeff Cameron, has removed all of his clothing as he is celebrating here. 66-yard field goal leading to the uh, most disturbing video you'll see here. It's Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, Warchat TV. Short segment here as IrashFellWarchant.com set to join us to start the second hour. Hang in there, get to it momentarily. Uh, really quickly, though, while I'm on the subject of that 66-yard field goal, the one that would have left yours truly pantless, uh, I would note that uh, Justin Tucker's 66-yard field goal, obviously, which bounced off the crossbar and went through, giving the Ravens a 19-17 win over... Whew, Poor Lions. A uh, little climate-controlled environment, but that works. Uh, also, to note, he did not have altitude behind him like some of these other kicks in, that are in the record books. Uh, anyhow, that said, think about this, how good these kickers are. In the last eight years, the all-time NFL distance record for a made field goal was 64 yards by Denver's Matt Prater in November of 2013. That was done in the thin air of Denver, so it was considered to be similar to a win-assisted outdoor sprint record or something like that. Prior to that, there were four players tied for the distance record with kicks of 63 yards. We all know it started with Tom Dempsey's kick, game winner for New Orleans over Detroit. They've been on the wrong end of some kicks, eh? At Tulane Stadium, that was the Saints' home prior to the Superdome on November the 8th, 1970. 
I always called nonsense on that. My man had half a foot, and there was a wooden block. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying. I, I, hey, I don't know. Jason Elam kicked a 63-yard field goal for Denver against Jacksonville at Mile High Stadium in 1998. Can't believe it was that long ago. Sebastian Janikowski, our own. 63-yard field goal for the Raiders against Denver at Mile High Stadium in 2011. David Akers kicked a 63-yard field goal off the crossbar against the 49ers. Oh, for the 49ers against the Packers in Lambeau Field. And then finally, Graham Gano had a 63-yarder for the Panthers to beat the Giants. Came in 2018, but uh, nonetheless, now it's Tucker's 66-yard. Irish Chaffel, WarChant.com, going to join us to start the next hour.